Today's show is sponsored by Action 24-7, Tennessee's only sportsbook by Tennesseans for Tennesseans. And if you want action, you got to get in on the action with Action 24-7 because it's March. It's almost March Madness, but there's one more week until the regular college basketball season ends. So let's celebrate with a parlay promo. Lay $50 on a plus 500 college hoops parlay, and they will toss you a $15 free bet if it doesn't hit. And as always, if you use code DADS100, my friends at Action 24-7 will give you a 50% boost on your first deposit up to $800. That's right, $400 extra when you use code DADS100 and deposit $800 in your account. So check them out at action247.com. Today's show is also sponsored by Orca Coors. And you know what season it is right now? It's dad season. And it is dad season year round because if you use code dad season, you'll get 20% off your whole order at Orca Coors. That is the collegiate coolers they have right now, the tumblers, all the other great coolers they have, all the other awesome tumblers they have. They have a whiskey barrel tumbler. They come out with seasonal tumblers. You never know what they're going to have. Lots of cool stuff over at orcacoolers.com. Be the envy of dads everywhere with their roto molded coolers and awesome 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 products so go ahead and use code dad season you'll save 20 percent. tell them we sent you last but not least today's show is sponsored by distilleryproducts.com if you are a store a distillery a bourbon group or maybe you're a podcast like us go ahead and go to distilleryproducts.com they have wholesale pricing some of the best in the whole entire biz and you can get laser etched glassware at those wholesale prices they also have awesome swag they've partnered with mirrors so there's some cool tumblers and things that you could put your logo on go see the crew see carson see janie vicky the whole family over at distilleryproducts.com zeke you got anything for me tonight do we talk about piss stops Uh, (laughs) no we didn't no it's a very simple point i have it's i wrote this down forever ago okay okay with what you just asked me that you want to talk about, I'm very nervous about what your next statement is, but go ahead and complete it. So I think there's two types of people in the world. You, you tell me how you feel. Like hypothetically, you have to stop at a piss stop on, you know, driving down the road, interstate, usually whatever. A rest area. Do you feel, no, 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 this is like a convenience store, but you're clearly just there to pee. But do you feel obligated to buy something because you use their facilities or do you just lower your head, not make eye contact with the cashier and roll out? I mean, I tend to try to buy something. And what percent would you say that is? Sometimes I really don't want something. I, I'd say I'm a good 95% of the time if I'm going in to use the facility. Fair enough. I just feel like it's one of those things like people should do and it's $3 or $2 or whatever to buy a Powerade or something to snack on. Where would you have been if the, the stop wasn't there, if the restroom wasn't there? Think about if the business doesn't make it. What are you doing then? I feel like somebody has to clean that bathroom up at some point. So I should contribute to the salary to help the cause. Salaring or souring? Salary. <laughs> I would equate it to putting the cart back in the cart area when you're leaving the store. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's just good etiquette. But I always wonder, like, how do people really follow it? Because I, I feel like if you slowly observe people, you just see folks in and out, in and out with nothing in their hands. But what were they doing in the store if they have nothing in their hands? Maybe they bought gas when they were outside and they used the card. And then they went into the store to go to the restroom. And then they have nothing when they're leaving, but they still bought gas. Our guest has something he wants. We haven't even introduced him yet, but go ahead and jump in. Being from Georgia, you strike me as somebody that would just piss on the side of the road. <laughs>
Hello, hello, everyone. My name is John Edwards. With me, as always, is Zeke Baker, and together we make the Dad's Drink of Bourbon. Wherever you are, whatever time it is, thank you for making us part of your day. And he already made himself known in a way that I really appreciate already. This is a long time coming. We love what he has been putting out at this distillery. We have a lot to talk to him about, and it is a big moment because they just released their Green River Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Their distillery goes back a long time. He is an eighth generation distiller. The DSP on this distillery is 10 for Kentucky. If you want to know how far this distillery goes back. And that is Mr. Jacob Call, the master distiller for Green River. Welcome to Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Thanks, guys. Glad to be here. Glad to finally make it on your show. We are so excited to have you on. I was telling you before we got started, I feel like we've just been teased. And, you know, Blue Note and Wheel Horse and Bradshaw and whomever else was using your juice and not necessarily calling out that it was your juice. So many people have been sourcing from Green River, but it's awesome to finally have your own stuff out. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, you know, it's it's been a long time coming. Um, started distilling in 2016, and this is uh, a little over five years old, and we're super excited about it. I love how you gave everybody else, you're like, you can have this three to four year stuff, but our five year stuff, that's waiting for us. Uh, you know, we had to pay a few bills before we uh, could get the Green River brand launched out there. Let's start from the beginning and talk a little bit about yourself and your story. And then we'll talk about the story of you know, Green River, all that good stuff. But you are an eighth generation distiller that started in banking. So how did you go away from the family business for a little bit and come back to it? Tell me a little bit about your story. Yeah. So uh, my family dates back to uh, 1791. Bourbon County, Kentucky. The first guy was Samuel Call, and it's really kind of a kind of a funny story. You know, I always knew I was seventh generation, but I never could really connect all the dots. So, I uh, during COVID, I hired a genealogist, and she did some research, and she said, "You're not going to believe this. I found a bunch of records." So he had he had ten kids, and of course, they were all fighting over his assets and his estate. So there's a lawsuit and uh, had his, his property listing and he had a 75 gallon still, 120 gallon still, a dozen fermenters. That effectively makes me one of the oldest uh, distilling families in Kentucky dating back that long. So uh, that was pretty, uh, pretty cool find. I think the most amazing thing out of that, not just the fact that you know, you are in one of the oldest families in Kentucky, but also the fact that he had 12 fermenters back yeah, then. It wasn't just a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> like I hear 12 fermenters and I'm like, at that point, he's really putting out some juice. Yeah, I was, I was really surprised uh, at it. And then, you know, fast forward to, uh, to more modern times. My, my grandfather, he worked at Jim Beam. Uh, family friends with Booker. And then my uh, my dad worked at Jim Beam and Booker was kind of his protege in the business. And we moved to Florida in the 90s. And my dad became a master distiller at uh, Florida Distillers and he created all the Cruzan rum products. And I went to work for him. So I had all the really uh, challenging jobs when I was a kid, worked in bottling line and clean fermenters. And we had a big cattle ranch down there. He used to take care of all the cows. We feed the byproduct to our stillage. And then um, I went to Murray State 
right out of uh, out of high school. Went went up to Murray State back in Kentucky and became a banker for a while. And um, I mean, not just a banker. You reach C suite. That's not like yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, at Republic Bank, community bank, but still. And then um, you know, whiskey and, and rum and alcohol and bourbon is just a lot cooler than banking. <laughs> So I went to work for my dad uh, down at Florida Distillers and did a, I had a couple different distilleries that we ran down there and he created all the Cruzan rum products. And, and when that distillery was sold, uh, he kind of semi-retired and he deals, uh, he handles Pilar rum now. He's their master blender for Pilar rum, does all their stuff. And I knew the guy that had bought the the old Medley distillery here in, in Owensboro, Kentucky, and um, came up and took a took a look at it. The rest is history, as they say. Uh, it was in bad, bad shape. It was vacant for about 25 years. Um, so we we spent about $30 million uh, rebuilding it. Started distilling in 2016, and we, we made 18,000 barrels that first year. Um, expanded uh, a year later to 70,000. And then in 2019, we did our last expansion, which took us to to over 90,000 barrels and we made 94,000 barrels this, this past year. And that makes us the fourth largest independent bourbon distillery in the United States. That is amazing. But before we talk about that, you definitely got Zeke's eyes perking up, but I want to go back to your dad. So sure. can you give him a message for us? Because I really like Papa's Pilar. I don't know what he has against tire proof rum. Do you have any insight here? Because they had a couple cast strengths that went out in Nashville that were really, really, really good. Whenever we asked about it to the rep, he just said, oh, yeah, Mr. Call does not like to do a high proof rum. I, I don't know. He's more of a, you know, a sipper kind of guy. He's got some high proof stuff. His latest one is Legacy, which is aged in some of our rye barrels. Uh, Funny enough, I got it right here. Yeah. That's one of my faves that he does. That was really damn good. That was a super good one. But let's get back to your distillery because obviously you all came out pumping stuff out from the beginning. I think the other thing that you were doing that people didn't even realize is y'all were buying up a lot of whiskey from some other distilleries too. I just remember there were a whole bunch of... uh, different brands non-distilling producers that were getting all their whiskey from a oz tyler at the time and you would see they would come with their pick samples and you know they would always say oz tyler on them and we're like oh you're getting that stuff from them oh yeah they, they have a lot of barrels but don't tell anyone yeah we you know we've got a lot of barrels we, we've got i don't know six figures worth of barrels in, in storage of our own so yeah, we got a lot of barrels laying around. You know, all of a sudden, I feel like this year y'all were sleeping. Y'all were sleeping. You had the name change, and then all of a sudden, it's like, all right, yeah, we're up. And P.S. We have a lot of stuff we're ready to drop on you. Uh, how tough was it to know that this moment was going to happen and that you were sitting on all that? Well, it, it was exciting. You know, we uh, super excited just to to have the ability to get, to get out there and showcase what we can do. You know, we always had our eye on the Green River trademark. The distillery itself, you know, dates back to 1885, and that was the original name was the Green River Distillery. We were fortunate enough that um, Rob McCulloch, who's the great-great-grandson of J.W. McCulloch that founded the distillery and the brand, we worked out a deal with him and bought his trademark. And uh, he's a tough negotiator because it took us several years 
to get that back. So we, we always kind of had our eye on that uh, Green River name. And, you know, I really can't think of another brand, pre-prohibition brand like that, that has been brought back to its original home. I think that's pretty rare, actually. Was that change to Green River. I mean, I, I think a lot of people thought, just being honest here, it was the you know the rapid aging, the Terra. A lot of people thought the name change was kind of as a, a rebrand to put that stuff behind you. But this was something y'all wanted from the beginning. You wanted that brand name from day one. Yeah. I mean, we've talked to Rob for years and years and years and and really, you know, the name OZ Tyler, he was the founder of the company, which was based in Charleston, South Carolina. And he had passed away a couple of years before we bought the distillery. So the, the CEO at the time and the ownership at the time, you know, they that's the name they picked. So as the master distiller, we don't get involved in all the marketing decisions sometimes. So uh, we got to, uh, roll with the punches sometimes. Did you all get the bourbon? Have you tried it? So I have it right here. And unfortunately, because I normally, you know, divvy it up and give Zeke some. And because of having to go home, I did not get to give him some. But we're being honest. The good thing is we've drank enough Green River between everything we've done that he kind of has a good idea. Yeah, I've got one of the blends we did. I I held off on uh, killing the bottle, but... um, (laughs) We, we were fortunate enough a while back to go uh, taste through like 20 barrels, you know, blend those kind of as we saw it fit and agreed with the distro. It was a fun time. And like in retrospect, it's kind of as daunting as that sounds to do, you know, here's 20 barrels. It's a what lot. do you think we should do? And it's just <laughs> us and distro and the reps and the, the Bluna people are there. But, you know, they're not buying it. They're selling it. <laughs> But it was actually pretty smooth and easy. I mean, I think we wrapped maybe three, three and a half hours with a single barrel and three different blends of various barrel sizes. We did a two, four, and six and a single barrel. And I swear, I Zeke, I think we were done in two hours. I mean, it wasn't long and everyone agreed. That, that, you know, it's funny. It's rare. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you get more than one palate in the room. No, uh, not really feeling that vibe. Both John and I and Tyler, the, the Ajax rep, you know, obviously the, the, the Blue Note people were there and they tasted stuff and they were like, we ain't going to tell you you're wrong. We would drink this all day too. So that that was a really just a fun experience. Like I say, to, to walk into that many barrels and to find a way to utilize that many of them. Like, I feel good about this too. Like anybody asked me, I drink this all day. I didn't blend it just for chits and giggles. I mean, this is something I would put down seven days a week. And I will tell you, Jacob, what I really love about that pick is I now have five bottles of Green River that have not been proofed down, not been touched, and they're straight from the barrel, and they're all a little higher proof, so I don't need a whole lot of it, and I could just have a pour here and there. So I am lucky enough to say that we've tasted Green River straight from the barrel, and uh, it's great stuff. You're all's Mashville, not to steal the the thunder from you, but I do kind of want to talk to you about it. It's 70% Kentucky grown corn. It's 21% winter rye. It's 9% malted two and six row barley. How did you pick that mash bill? Obviously you've done a lot of distilling in your life. Did you have an idea of where you wanted to go and you tried a couple different things or did you know this is right where you wanted to go from the start? Well, you know, I kind of like the, uh, the spicier rye, uh, the, the spice that you get from the rye. I've always been kind of a fan of the higher rye, uh, but not too high. So I wanted something kind of in the middle. 
one of the first mash bills we did was 78139, which is kind of a heritage, traditional Jim Beam, Evan Williams type of mash bill. But, uh, you know, I wanted something a little bit more punch to it. And I think that that we we delivered that. You know, we've, we've run probably 20 different mash bills at our distillery. That's part of, we were in the contract business for a long time. So, you know, we're not like some of the distilleries that just make the same thing every day. So we could experiment around a little bit. Yeah, really happy with how it turned out. Is that some free R&D for you, having to do all that other stuff? Yeah, it turned out that way for sure. Yeah, it was, it was pretty pretty cool. Are there other ones you would think about doing in addition to this, or is this kind of where you want to stay? Uh, you know, our, we do make uh, we make a lot of rye whiskey. So we've got a 95.5 rye. Uh, pretty excited about that one. The 13% I like. So, you know, we've got a handful. We've got a weeded that, that we do. So, yeah, we got a lot of stuff kind of on the back burner. First thing that popped in my head was, uh, do you have a weeded? I think inevitably that's where uh, a lot of people are going right now. I can't say for almost anyone's younger weeded mash that nothing comes to mind that I can think of where I was like, man, this is what you should bet the farm on. (laughs) (laughs) Even the folks that are uh, in Frankfurt and known for weeded. I think they're uh, putting it out too young now, and uh, that's probably the biggest issue, but there's still interest in it for sure. And as far as Green River goes, I would say that, you know, the, the, this 90-proof version is our, our flagship, right? You know, we had to come out with a flagship and get it out in the market, got to lead with something, and it's got a good price point on it. Uh, here in Kentucky, it's $34.99 for a five-year-old. And then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll come with a bottled and bond probably next year. And we'll come with a rye whiskey uh, after that. So uh, we got a lot of things in, in the works. No, I think that's a, a solid entry point and something John and I talk about too much. So I won't beat a dead horse for anyone that listens to us regularly. But, you know, when you come in, it can't be high priced. And it doesn't, in our opinion, need to be high proofed. Yes, the the one or two percenters get into those now, and that's what they want and they want to see. But your daily drinkers and what would ideally be a regular customer, I don't think they're in that niche. Or if they are, I I don't know how they work in the mornings. <laughs> that's the tough thing, right? Is that you want to find something that, and I tell people this all the time, that $30 to $40 is such a, an, an emerging category. I think a lot of times, you know, you have those bottled and bonds that people expect to be 25 and under. And I feel like a lot of people are pricing their whiskey higher than it should be. But there's this growing number of distilleries that realize, hey, if our MSRP is 30 to 40, it's like people were saying the $50 to $70. It was that everyday rare high end everyday stuff. And then like that might be good for millennials, but us dads, like we got bills to pay. We have like soccer. We have all this other stuff going on that 50 to 70 is not a good range for us to drink something on the regular. We appreciate y'all putting something out that is more affordable, more approachable. Yes, You talk about this with a little bit of that rye spice, which absolutely 100% is there. But I would say that this is well-rounded and is very pleasing to the masses, right? Like, I I think there's an aspect to it where you can get a little bit of spiciness, but it's not too much. It's just enough to tingle your tongue. But you do get a very... I think the funny thing is, is some of the taste on it for me, I know you put your tasting notes with it, but definitely cinnamon a little bit of greenness to it. Like I would say a little earthy tones in there as well. 
lot of spice, a lot of caramel, vanilla, you know, the stuff you would want in a drinker. And I think the mouthfeel is the best part that you know, you're getting that 30 to 40 drinker, but you're not feeling like it's too thin and that you're not getting. I like to have a little bit of substance in my pour. I don't want it to be too thin. And I think it's a great, it's not going to be one of those things where you sit there and drink and go, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever drank in my life. And I, I know you wouldn't expect it to be, but it's also, you sit there and go, damn, this is a solid pour. Yeah. You know, uh, part of our thoughts with that, you know, with going with the 90 proof, J.W. McCulloch, he was big into branding and advertising, and uh, this was actually the official whiskey of the Marine Corps Hospital. So part of his slogan was uh, he wanted to sell it far and wide. So we're kind of uh, of the same boat on that. You know, we want it to be approachable, affordable, great bottle. I think people, you know, they may buy it just for the bottle the first time, but my hope is they buy it for the liquid that's inside the second time. For sure. Um, <laughs> That's definitely where you want to be is similar thing we've talked about. It's like if you market it right and do it right, somebody's probably going to pick it up at least one time. But it's what do you do to ensure the contents are going to justify the price and the bottle and and get the repeat business? Because if you're in this for a one and done game, I I don't think that's the play to make. (laughs) Yeah, we're we're too big. Uh, The distillery is too big. The brand is too uh, historic to do anything like that. So this is uh, this is. We don't want it to be one that, you know, people just sit on their shelf and and stare at. We want it to be drunk. So obviously have, you know, some good variants in mash bills. How much are you tinkering around with various uh, cooperages? Uh, We buy primarily from Independent Stave. Um, They're our our main supplier. But, you know, we uh, we spread it around a little bit. Uh, We buy some from Speyside, some from um, West Virginia Barrel Cooperage. But I would say uh, our majority of our barrels come from Independent Stave. We do a number four char on all of our barrels. Um, we've done some of their experimental barrels on kind of limited quantities. Um, and I think we'll probably save those for our um, single barrel picks uh, later down the road when we get to that with Green River. Give folks a little bit of variety when they're picking through. And are you guys doing at least almost from tasting a good bit of the stuff? what I would assume is somewhat of a longer seasoning process on those staves. I get good oak, but I don't get any like char, salty, brininess, which all we've been able to associate that with is staves that haven't been seasoned as long. So the char comes out more than the natural flavors, tannins and whatnot. Yeah, we do a six to eight month seasoning on the staves. And, uh, you know, we don't do any toasting, uh, just to, just a regular, uh, we call it the classic whiskey barrel. Um, and that's kind of what we wanted with, with, with this product is I wanted to make a very traditional classic bourbon, not to take anything away from some of the other, you know, brands and products out there, but they've got stuff being finished with everything under the sun and I thought, Hell, it might be kind of refreshing just to have a good old solid Kentucky bourbon uh, for a change. So <laughs> it's old as new again, maybe. It's going to get there. I had a similar conversation um, over the weekend with some folks. And it's like, all right, sure, the finished stuff's popping right now. People are buying it. It's a wave. How long will the wave go? And to some degree, will it probably always be there? Possibly, but end of the day, it's still more of a niche product. And most people are probably going to want to circle back to the core fundamentals of, all right, well, 
that was fun. It's great as a cordial. I can share it with the friends that don't love bourbon. But when I'm just sitting here by myself watching TV on a Tuesday, I don't need all that shit. I just want straight bourbon whiskey. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. You know, there's a place for that, you know, to try and experiment. Experimentation is always good. Keeps everybody on their toes, but not for Green River. That was, that's not what we wanted to do with this historic brand. I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about it. And you talk about experimentation. Is it safe to say that rapid aging is probably not in the experimentation plans moving forward? Or is that something y'all would revisit again? Or uh, You know, definitely not for Green River and, and some of our more historic brands. That's that's just tradition all the way. Uh, you know, I will say we use it. It does work on vodka. We have it uh, down in Charleston. Uh, we use it for some vodka products. Game day vodka uh, comes to mind. What it you know what it it does work pretty good with is the stay finish stuff. So you know if somebody wants to finish a product in sherry barrels, well, or sherry staves, you don't have to go out and buy a hundred sherry barrels and source them from you know around the world and keep up with them. You can. Can take some some staves and, and use that uh, process, and it, it actually it does it works pretty well for that. Is it one of those things? Because we've had some people on that talked about rapid aging and a, a whole sorts of ways, and I understand some of the stuff is proprietary, so you don't necessarily have to feel like you can answer. You could say pass. Is it something where you chop the staves up really small and put them in there, or do you, are you putting full staves in? They're full staves. Yeah. Okay. And then is it really just putting it in the barrel with them or is it putting it in a vat? How uh, We've got a patent. We've got a patent machine that works off ultrasonic energy. It is one of those things where people say that regular whiskey, it's probably, it's tougher, but anything that you're doing with finishing or some of that other stuff, I mean, that's kind of the common answer we've got from anybody that we talk to that tries to do it. How many brands are you actually over? Because I know there's something like you've created 80 brands or there was some article I was reading that's just the the total number of brands that you've had your hand in is crazy. Yeah, you know, I I couldn't even tell you, to be honest with you. Um, We do a lot of private label stuff for big liquor store chains, Total Wine, ABC Liquor, BevMo. So there's a lot of brands that are that are in those stores. Um, and then our private brand stuff, of course, Bradshaw and Wheel Horse and Duke, the Duke brand. I'd have to sit with a calculator probably figure all to figure it out. <laughs> Going forward, I guess do you have a like a percent in mind or kind of a goal as far as where you want to be as far as the balance between what you retain for yourself versus what you source out, keep the lights on, however you want to look at it. It's kind of a two-part thing because obviously I'm sure you're aware you know, sourcing is more and more apparent by the day, and there's plenty of folks that are doing well in it. I think if John and I were hypothetically ever going to open a place, we would bank on some percent being sourced. Uh, so I just wonder, you know, your side of the coin of that being from the the brand's kind of mind home feel thing. So right now we're about 50-50, and I think as a brand like Green River grows that number will move closer towards keeping more for ourselves. Um, there, there will always be a balance, I think, of, uh, you know, as you said, paying the bills. And so it, it's a balancing act. But, uh, yeah, I think we'll eventually, you know, move one day. might take 20 years. 
Uh, it took Heaven Hill a long time to get Evan Williams uh, to where it's at. So we're sort of that same uh, business model, I would say. Well, I would think too, kind of John alluded to earlier, especially if you get the customers that come in that, well, I like what you do, but I, I want to put my own spin on it or I want to tweak it or, or I want this ratio of a mash bill. All right, well, now I get paid to test out something that I might have done on my own to begin with. But I mean, if you're going to pay me to do it, <laughs> yeah, hey, let know. me see what else works around here. <laughs> yeah, the problem sometimes with that's the minimums, you know, we're so big, a, a one day run for us is 300 barrels. That's a big experiment, you know, for somebody. So that's something probably that all your time down in Florida and all the distilling you had, I mean, the Medley distillery, when you took it over, was it that size or did you bring in all new equipment to allow yourself to put in 300 barrels a day? No, it was, it was uh, non-functional when we got there. They had eight fermenters. I mean, it was in bad, bad shape. The doubler was there couple of the cookers were there, but, uh, no, we, uh, I talked to Charles Medley, I don't know, four or five years ago. And he had told me that the most they had ever done was 50,000 barrels. Uh, and we did 94,000. So we've expanded it quite a bit. We run 24, seven, 50 weeks a, a year. And I'm sure everything is pretty automated. You know, at this point you got computers driving a, a whole lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a lot of, uh, automation we've got some great operators that help us that work for us grain operators silver operators but uh yeah it's come a long way uh, if you guys are ever ever nearby be sure to come and take a tour see how far we've come that's for sure you know that we will be coming to visit i mean things are just kind of tough in the beginning of the year and getting everything going but we will be up sometime this year we're, we're definitely going to let you know what has been your favorite thing to distill? Because you've distilled a whole lot of different stuff. What's been your favorite? Uh, let me tell you my least favorite. So my least favorite <laughs> is uh, probably malt whiskey. We made some single malt one time. And yeah, that stuff is tricky. Foamy, stinks up the whole damn distillery when you distill it. So that was probably my least favorite. Uh, rye whiskey is fun. We had a, you know, a lot of people don't like messing with rye. It gets sticky and phones real bad but we we didn't have any problems with it i was really at the end of the day it's all pretty similar to distill so, you know you find it's the recipe and we use different yeast strains for different products too so our bourbon we blend a couple proprietary yeast strains on the bourbon and then the rye we have a, a special strain we use for our rye so it's all fun i was going to ask anything unique to uh you know the grains that go into the mash as well some folks would say you we buy the same thing that the three folks down the street buy, and some will get in depth. Like, no, we 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 hunt this down and do this and that, and this is what we want to our specificities. We do buy all uh, Kentucky corn uh, from about a thirty mile radius from the distillery. We're we're pretty fortunate. Some of the best corn in Kentucky is in Western Kentucky near our uh, distillery, and uh, we've got. Uh, probably a dozen farmers that we contract direct from. But yeah, we um, our grain goes through a pretty rigorous test before we unload it. We do organoleptic uh, on it, smell it. We check for alpha toxins, bushel, weight, moisture, foreign material. So yeah, we're pretty pretty picky about it, the grain for sure. You can take a, a, a musty a musty corn and uh, it will 
smell all the way through the process, all the way through aging. So if you ever get like a really musty bourbon, it's probably bad corn. <laughs> I, I got the sense from the uh, the descriptors between the the single malt whiskey and then the the rye that the sticky and the bubbles were kind of manageable, but it was the smell end of the day. Like, no, I'm not dealing with that shit again. Yeah, we had to really clean uh, <laughs> once we got done with the malt. Yeah, <laughs> it's malt too. The funny thing is, anybody who tries to put a malt in one of those infinity bottles, you, you hear everybody like, "Oh yeah, I had an infinity bottle; it was going so well that I put some malt whiskey in there, and it all went to shit." And it's like that's exactly <laughs> the malt just takes over. It does. It's strong, very strong. We know what your least favorite is now. How are you feeling? So I, I guess the, the greatest place to go is this has now been out for a couple of weeks. People are going out, trying it. You're getting the reception on it. People like us that aren't experts, but share their opinion are starting to talk about it. How are you feeling about the reception on the Green River bourbon that is finally out? Yeah, it's it's been great. You know, uh, first day, I think I signed a thousand bottles in our gift shop. What really makes me proud is for the city of Owensboro. Uh, we put right on the label the pride of Owensboro. Uh, Owensboro was a mecca for bourbon distilling back before Prohibition. There were 23 distilleries in Davis County. And I read an article the other day that the combined uh, tax revenue of, of tobacco and uh, whiskey for Davis County was more than double any other county in the United States. So double Louisville, double Nelson County, Davis County is where it was at. And, you know, after Prohibition, it was just the Medleys. Medley hung on for as long as they could. So just really proud for Owensboro and, and all of our employees to, to get to bring a brand like this back and have something that they can be proud of. Oh, it's solid. So it was seemingly uh, barge town before barge town, I guess. Yeah, it really was. As far as a, um, you know, we talked about, you know, the rye and the wheat stuff and, and anything else down the road. Is there a, a set timeline for those as far as like we expect to put out a rye in, you know, this quarter of this year or the wheat or, you know, other things? Yeah, I don't have any exact dates yet. Sales would probably kill me. But- <laughs> Popped off with something, but you know, I, I'd say next year sometime on the ride. Yeah, it's the stuff like that that gets you in the most trouble. Nothing that yeah. the, the NDA affects, but no, if I throw myself too under the bus, they're going to be in my ear tomorrow. They're going to have phone calls tomorrow. <laughs> When's the ride coming? <laughs> We're always good saying like ish, right? Like next, you know, it's like, oh yeah, next year sometime. All right, that's good for us. We don't want to get you in trouble. Well, I know that we have kept you up late. I know that you need to get to the distillery early tomorrow. This has just been awesome to have you on and talk Green River. Anything in closing that you think we should know about bringing back Green River that we missed? You know, I think for me, you know, personally, it was it was kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity to get to um, rebuild a historic distillery that pretty much every other distillery at the time was expanding and passed on. So to, to get to, to bring that place back to life, bring a brand back to life, bring a whole city, the fourth largest city in Kentucky back into bourbon. That's pretty cool. I think pretty proud of that. 
So something I literally just thought of, and I don't know how or why we both missed it, but obviously it's a family business. Your dad's still doing it. Well, this is a dad show. How often is he in your ear telling you what in the hell you should and shouldn't be doing and, and you having to argue with him? Uh, you know, I, I talked to him several times a week. You know, he was instrumental at the very, you know, the beginning. Uh, you know, he was uh, he was there to, to make sure I didn't screw anything up, I think, more than anything. But he had to go home. I mentioned we the first uh, first match bill we ran was seventy eight thirteen nine because that's what he was familiar with the Jim Beam. And then when he went back to Florida, I changed it to <laughs> seventy twenty one nine because that's what I like. Well, thank you so much for staying up late with us. We can't wait. I mean, we'll do a follow up. We'll get up there and actually get up in person with you and do something better. Maybe we'll, uh, try some stuff out of the barrel. Be fun. Let's do it. And uh, thank you so much. You can find it's Green River Distilling Company on all the socials. Search for them. You should be able to find them. Uh, Jacob is not on the socials. I did not see. I think he's too busy distilling and and, uh, I can't imagine him uh, plugging away on Instagram. Just taking selfies in the distillery. So (laughs) no. There's a solid shrug there for anyone that uh, obviously can't see, but it was more spoken than the no. Yes. Uh, yeah, my kid, my kids would have to be my uh, handler on that, I guess. they That's uh, more their speed. We'll go find you there at the distillery. You can find us on Facebook at Dad's Drinker Bourbon, Twitter at Bourbon Dads, Instagram at Dad's Drinker Bourbon. Please leave us an open and honest review like we leave open and honest reviews about the whiskey we drink. Zeke, where else can the folks find us? Good old Nashville, Tennessee. Jacob, thank you again. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Ciao.